We were looking at 11. Um, read world news. Be informed. Be informed. I uh, read the story of this uh, young man in our city, and uh, he was a sleepwalker. And at night, around 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, he would leave his house sleepwalking, go to a neighbor's house and start knocking on the door, go to the next house, knock on the door, and uh, then walk back into his house and go to bed. And he would do this even in the winter. I mean, he could have died. And it was a, sort of an extreme case of sleepwalking. Well, I thought... Lots of, times, lots of times we Christians are sleepwalkers. We're just getting through life. We're not looking around us. We're not looking at the people around us. We're not looking at events around us. We're just sleepwalking. Well, the Lord has not called us to be sleepwalkers. We're to be alert and awake to the things of God and to the world in which we live in. So we see today tremendous global changes. We should be aware of these things. We should have a, a passion for uh, what is happening? I think of radical Islam, which is persecuting uh, believers, threatening believers, and uh, spreading in many places of the world. It's very, very frightening. And I think of China today. Uh, China is just like uh, ants, just, uh, just covering the whole globe. They're in every country, and they're spreading their philosophy. By the way, I just uh, heard news just the other day from a man who's worked over 50 years in Hong Kong. And he says, in 50-some years uh, in Hong Kong, I've never seen uh, such oppression and the government just clamping and clamping down on Christians, wanting churches in the next five to ten years to conform to the Chinese government and philosophy, something we cannot do. And then we see the growth of dictatorships throughout the world. And many of these dictatorships, very hostile to Christian missionaries, and more and more doors are being closed to missionaries today. So we should know the countries that are open. There are countries wide open to the gospel. We should know those countries. Encourage missionaries to go there. We see these huge migrations of people. Every country is uh, affected by this. And famines and uh, terrible things that are going to be here uh, shortly in the future. We should know. We should care. We should care. There's uh, different uh, news agencies that you can uh, go to. I uh, usually have uh, two uh, news magazines a week that I read, or if I don't read them, I go through them quickly, rip out things I like, or just get the general news. There's podcasts you can go to, like The Briefing, Al Mohler. Very, very excellent. There's the BBC uh, News, which is World News. Technology. I would highly recommend that you at least have one news magazine that uh, will help you with this. And again, you don't have to read every word. You go through it, you get a general impression, uh, tear out those articles that you're interested in. But don't be a sleepwalker. Don't be a half alive, be fully alive. I remember Spurgeon commenting on Whitfield. And he said, most men are only half alive. Whitfield is 100% alive. Be alive. As a Christian, you should be alive. Interested. But I want to just bring up something that we're normally not doing, and that is praying for persecuted believers. So take your Bibles. Take your Bibles right now and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Some of you may not even uh, know this exists. Turn to Hebrews 13 first. Hebrews 13, verse 3. 
Remember those who are in prison. So there we have a direct charge. As though in prison with them. Now that is very interesting. There's brothers and sisters in prison in uh, North Korea, uh, in Iran right now, in China right now. Well, you are to uh, remember them as if you were with them. And those who are mistreated, maybe they're not in prison, but they're being uh, mistreated, since you also are in the body. In other words, there's one body of Christ. We're all interconnected by the Holy Spirit. Now turn back to chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 34. We could pick it up at verse 33, but let's just look at verse 34. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourself had a better possession and abiding one. So here we're directly told, remember the believers in prison. So at our church, we have a certain bulletin board that we have bars on it, and we put in there the different countries of the world at different times to be praying for. Now, you can send for Open Doors, World Watch List 2019. This is, this is an incredible magazine, an incredible magazine that gives you the information of every country and the levels of persecution and what Christians are going through. It's actually very fascinating, even if you've got one for your church. Of course, you get a voice of the martyrs who tries to keep the martyrs. I think in 2015, there were like over 5,000 Christian martyrs. That's my last recollection. Uh, I understand they're going to be here uh, in uh, this city uh, in October. You may want to look forward to that and the incredible, incredible stories. Although you will not read about this in Time magazine or see it on the news, God is doing great things throughout the world. He does his secret work. We may not know about it, but in heaven we will find what the Lord is doing. In Iran, particularly, I think, of uh, the gospel being beamed into Iran and in many other places using modern technology in the digital world. Well, my brothers and sisters, we should pray regularly and our prayer list in our local church for brothers and sisters in prison or being mistreated. Let's be awake to them. Let's follow what the scripture says. Remember them as if you were in prison yourself. And I think particularly of North Korea, there's something like 40,000, I, I believe this is what I read, of believers. Uh, of course, if you're caught with the Bible, you just put to death. Uh, there are, are countries that are just persecuting the believers, and this is growing. This is growing. Then 12, give sacrificially and regularly to global missions. I think of this beautiful church in Philippi. What a, what a church, and no wonder it brought such great joy to the Apostle Paul. Chapter 1, verse 5, he talks about their, their partnership in the gospel, but in chapter 4, verse 15, for you... And you uh, Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. That is a commercial term. There was financial transaction here, except you only. That's sort of sad. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again, and now they sent uh, uh, money to him when he was in prison in Rome. This is a generous church, a giving church. It's a marvelous thing for a church to be known uh, for generosity because you know God is working when people uh, open up their wallets and they give to gospel work worldwide. 
But here's what I want to emphasize. Yes, you can send your check out. It's brainless. Or you can enter into partnership. He said you entered into partnership. And then he goes on that they minister to his needs, not just financial needs, by sending a, a messenger there to minister to him while he was in Rome in prison. We need to think through our finances, individually and as a church. What does it mean partnering with the missionary? By the way, this came to my uh, note in, in our break time. When a missionary comes back to your church, one of your missionaries comes, doesn't even have to be one of your missionaries, when a missionary comes, you personally make it a goal to have that missionary to your home. I'm going to tell you, you'll be blessed and you're going to learn a lot. Ask lots of questions. Don't just sit and hum. Ask questions. And learn about the field and learn about what God is doing. It will be encouraging to your soul. Well, the same thing with giving. Don't be afraid to ask, how are you doing financially? I know our elders ask those very personal questions. What are your needs? Uh, can, can we help in any special way? Now, something we do every year, every year we present to our local assembly uh, our budget, what we want to do for the next year. But every year with missions, we try to up that budget. We just say, you know, we've been giving this amount. We would like to go to this amount. Every year the congregation has responded. Set vision before the church giving. Uh, they're to look to the Lord in faith. We always think of the missionary looking to the Lord in faith. Well, they're supposed to listen, uh, look to the Lord in faith to stretch themselves. And uh, every year the, the congregation has responded to the challenge. Or sometimes there's a special need we must bring before the congregation that uh, there's a, a, a special concern we have. And we leave it up to the people then. We don't go beyond that. And uh, we find the Lord's people are very, very generous. Again, they're partnering. That's the whole difference. They're not just throwing money out there. The missionary, they love the missionary. They know what the missionary is doing. They're concerned about the field. I know I personally have certain fields, uh, and Cuba is one of them. I have a great passion for that. Well, you know what? I don't have to uh, struggle with giving. I try to give as much as I can. Why? Because I have a passion. And that's what you want to develop in the church, a passion for the field, a passion for the missionary. And when you have that, you don't have to beg people for money. You might have to hold them back, in fact. So that's ultimately what you want, the sense of we're together, we're working in this country, we're working through this missionary. It's our work. That's the difference. It's our work. Now, 13, in your outline here, establish mercy ministries uh, for world needs. Now, again, I'm just throwing ideas out at you. You pick up what you want. Uh, this is a, a world with great suffering, great, great suffering. Something like 10,000 children a day die of malnutrition. And if you, you see what's going on in Africa now, it, it should just break your heart. And uh, other places in the world, just terrible suffering, disease, and, and uh, hunger, malnutrition, and war, and, and just, just killing, senseless, senseless killing in, in parts of the world today. There should be a sense in our missions program that we have a mercy ministry. So our, our major focus is on missionaries planting churches. We have other ministries uh, through the missionaries like Wycliffe and things like that. But we also have mercy ministries. 
And just something we've been doing that you can find other things to do, and I think some of you are doing things like this. So one of our elders has led for many, many years uh, the water projects where they go to Central America because it's closed for us, and they find uh, villages that have uh, a church. It has to have a church, and then they have no running water or clean water. I could tell you some amazing stories of children being saved as a result of this. But we'll go to that village for a week to two weeks. We drill, get them fresh water, and then we work through the church. And so what we do is we take a group of people, and people really enjoy doing this. And for a week to two weeks, they are working very, very hard, drilling water. Then we have Sunday school classes. We have, uh, we have doctors or dentists. They come down too. They do medical things. But it's all gospel-oriented so that when we leave, uh, there, is a, there is a church that we work through that church and uh, then it's a nice witness to the village, and we use the whole thing of living water and uh, give uh, lots of good literature out and do things for the children, and it leaves a nice testimony. Uh, the main emphasis is a mercy ministry, to do something to help this crying, suffering, bleeding world, and it is that. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's very uh, important for our young people. Like I say, once a year we take high schoolers down, and all of them come back just shocked, shocked. They've never seen, most of them have never seen poverty. You know, they've never seen people that have nothing. They don't have a car. They're lucky if they have a bicycle. And they live off of very little, eating a very, very minimal diet. Uh, there's uh, hunger uh, that you can do, working with aid victim. Many of our missionaries are working with some kind of mercy ministry to uh, reach people. You can work through your missionaries doing things like that. I think it's a good thing to add to our Great Commission uh, uh, priority, which is the uh, direct evangelism and uh, baptism and teaching people to live the Christian life. That's our main focus, and to see people gathered together. But we can do also other mercy ministries to show the love of Christ to people in terrible, terrible need. And I think sometimes you have to confront it and actually see it with your eyes. I've been in places in Indonesia where they drink filthy, dirty water. And uh, one time I was thirsty, and they, they had a, a bowl there with dirty rags, and a lady gives me a cup and wants me to drink. And I'm going, oh, I'm not drinking this, you know. Thankfully, you know, just uh, let it go off the thing. And you, you can't even believe what, what people live like. It's good to see that. It's good to see that, to uh, see what most of the world lives like. Now, we have a few minutes left, and I want to do something just a little different. You have notes. We'll do it very quickly. Look at your notes under evangelize or fossilize. And I want you to turn to Colossians uh, chapter 4. This is a very important verse, a uh, very important uh, scripture passage. We have here world mission and local mission brought together. And I'm just going to go through it quickly. I only have like about uh, 20 minutes. And this will make it more practical for us. Yes, we have a global mission. But never forget, it has to start here first. No one should go to the mission field doesn't witness here. That's ridiculous. If you can't witness here, you're not going to witness just crossing the ocean. We're all to be witnesses. Now, do you know some Christians don't think that? They think, well, that's for the first century or for the apostles or just for evangelists. Well, I want to show you every Christian is to be a witness 
And what Paul prays for, he prays for you. So let's look at this, evangelize or fossilize, and let's look at uh, Colossians 4, and look at verse 2. He's speaking now to the congregation, not just to uh, the uh, leaders. Continue steadfastly in prayer. We're to be a praying church. It's the hardest thing we do, pray. Get people out to all kinds of activities, but ask them to pray. And yet nothing shows our real spirituality than prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, now here's where he's heading. He's asking for prayer for his mission, for his Gentile mission. At the same time, pray also for us. All right, continue praying, but make sure you're praying for us too. Missionaries. That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. So, this is a prayer you can pray for all your missionaries. If you ever wonder what to pray, here's a prayer to pray. Open doors. Opportunities. That's what he's saying. Pray that we will have opportunities in which to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison in Rome. Second prayer request, that I may make it clear in which is how I ought to speak. Now, just stop for one second. Paul's in prison. He's praying for open doors. And this veteran missionary is saying, pray that I can make it clear. Do you think it was easy for Paul to witness to Romans? Most of these would be higher officials, military men, polytheists, very proud about their Roman history, very proud about their gods, do you think it was easy for him to convince the Romans that a Jew died on a cross, a Roman cross, in Israel, and he's the Savior of the world? It's the craziest thing they ever heard. He has to convince them to turn away, repent of their polytheism, and their Roman gods, which were terrible people, by the way, capricious gods, never know when they're going to get you, and believe in a Jewish Messiah, they didn't even like the Jews, as the Savior of the world. You think that's easy? So don't complain when you say it's so hard to witness today. Most of the people you witness who have some kind of Christian background or some general vague notion of something. He says, pray that I'll make it clear. It's not easy to witness today. And it wasn't easy to witness in Paul's day. But you can pray and ask that it will be made clear by your missionaries and by yourself. Okay, so notice the parallelism here. Two prayer requests, open doors, opportunities, that I might be clear, speak the way the Romans can understand and the people I'm witnessing can understand this. Now, those two prayer requests for missions is now turned on the church. Same prayer request. Verse 5. Walk in wisdom, speaking to the congregation, towards outsiders making the best use of the time. Or other translations of opportunities, not just talking about time management. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is a very important passage of Scripture. If anyone ever says to Christians witness, here it is. Here it is right here, very clearly, Paul says what he wants for him. Now he turns right around and aims it at them and says, you do the same thing. 
So the prayer request is here. Oh, I'm going to get my notes out here. That would help. The prayer request here is, the first prayer request is for opportunities. So if you look at your notes in front of you, this is not going to stay open here. If you look at your notes in front of you, I want you to notice five simple points. Real catchy, real catchy. You can see how clever this is. Be alert, be prepared, be salt, be bold, be prayerful. Pray that for your missionaries, but pray it for yourself. Look at it again. Be alert, be prepared, be salt, be bold, be prayerful. First thing he says is be alert. Conduct yourself with wisdom, use your brain, towards outsiders. These are non-believers. When you're with non-believers, you're to be smart. You're to be wise. Think through what's presented to you as an opportunity. Making the most of the opportunity. Different translations, but the idea is opportunity. My dear friends, Be alert. Be awake. Opportunities are all around you. You're just walking past them. So my wife, in the summer, used to always run out and bring a pop to the garbage men or trash men. I don't know what you call them, or engineers, or whatever you call them today. They keep changing names on us. But my wife would run out and bring them a drink in the morning. So one morning when uh, she brought a Coke to this man, he started telling her. I mean, the, the, you know, the truck's supposed to keep going. But he stopped and talked to her about his marriage. And he must have known it has something to do with religion or something. I don't know how. Maybe she gave him a track or something. But he said, uh, my marriage is in trouble. And so my wife says, I'm going to put you in contact with one of our church elders who does counseling. Well, he winds up uh, getting counseling and gets saved. A garbage man. Lady in our church led the postman to the Lord. Uh, opportunities are all around us. Do you ever think of restaurant ministry? I think you all like restaurant ministry. Have you ever heard of that? Every time you go to the restaurant, think of this. People are being paid to be nice to you. You ever think of that? They're paying people to be nice to you, smile. They may give them training, be nice to you, serve you. All you have to do is smile a little bit, get their name, be pleasant, don't be overbearing, and then have some literature with you, some decent literature. Always carry literature. You know what literature is? Seeds. Mark chapter 4. Between Christ's first coming and second coming, we sow seed. And then he talks about the four soils, what the four responses will be to sowing seed. I see tracks as seed. So you're at a restaurant. Every time you're at a restaurant, you have an opportunity with those outside. And what do you do? You walk right past it. You're so concerned about the food, you forget the people. Restaurants, gas stations, grocery stores, mailmen, UPS men, trash men, all, all these people all around you every day, relatives, neighbors. So what he says is be alert. Walk with wisdom. Use your brain. Use your eyes. Look for those opportunities. They're, they're, they're falling over you at times. Making the most of the opportunity to sow seed. Tell the gospel. Everyone loves going to a restaurant. That could be a good excuse for going to the restaurant. We're evangelism. You can't fight that, can you? Second, be prepared to evangelize. Be prepared. Notice what he says. Let your speech always, always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how, how you should respond to each person. 
how you should respond. 1 Peter 3.15 says the same thing, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to any, everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Be prepared. I think a lot of times we don't witness because we're not prepared. So, get prepared. It's not that hard. Uh, take a course in evangelism. There's lots and lots of books on how to evangelize. Lots of books out there that will give you keys and helps to open your mouth and speak for the Lord. Now, I realize we're all made differently. Some of us are extroverts, and it's very easy to talk to people you don't know. Other of us are just terrified by talking to people you don't know. But you can always give literature. Even if you can't talk, you can give literature. I just want to say something uh, about this, be prepared. In speaking today, people in our country, be simple. Be simple. Don't, you don't want to be complex. You don't have to win a theological argument or a philosophical argument. You won't get anywhere there. It's a matter of just being simple. Tell your testimony. I have met the Lord. Or uh, something comes up and you just say, you know, my life was changed by the Lord. That's that simple. Give one or two verses. Don't back up on people like a sand truck and, and load on them 20 verses. One verse, leave them with one verse, John 3, 16, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Just a simple verse and go over it with them. People do not know the Bible. Modern people don't know the Bible. Yes, World War II veterans, that whole group, my, my father's generation, even though they weren't Christians, they knew quite a bit about Christianity and ethics, and there would have been a lot, a lot of agreement, even if they weren't saved. But today, most people have never even opened a Bible. Many people don't go to church, so they don't have that. You have to be simple, direct, focus on Christ as Lord. Once they come to see Christ as Lord, then uh, you can bring uh, in the heavier doctrines or, or things. Simple, clear, one key verse, focus on Christ, focus on sin, and uh, that is just a very simple way to witness. Try not to argue with people or get into win the debate. That's something we men have a problem with, you know. We get our egos up and we want to win the debate. That's why women are so much better at witnessing. They just tell the story. They just tell about their testimony. They just say, you know, we have this one lady in our church. There's no way you can, uh, she was an Indian uh, lady, Indian sister, and there's no way you could be in her presence without being witnessed to. And she was so natural at it, you know. She just looked at you and talked to him. Of course, she was their sorry and everything. People, oh, yes, very nice. Do you know the Lord? And just right, right in. Never argue, just tell her testimony. She was a Parsi, very few Parsis saved from a very wealthy family in India. And she just tell her testimony and uh, so relaxed about the whole thing, not uh, trying to win anything or prove any points. So just uh, be, be simple when, when you witness. Uh, use the bridge illustration. Can't go wrong with that. When you think of the cross, what is the cross? It's a bridge. Over here is earth. Over here is heaven. Can't get to heaven because of your sin. God's holy. Heaven's holy. and will not let sin in. How in the world am I going to get over there? Well, there's a bridge. The cross is the bridge. Millions have crossed on that bridge. And the, the cross, uh, the one on the cross is both God and man. He can reach God and man. And he paid for your sin. And... Uh, uh, it's it's just a simple, and you can use that uh, that uh, song, that old song, uh, like a bridge over troubled water. I will lay me down. That's the gospel. Christ laid himself down to be a bridge over troubled water. Everyone knows that song. 
whatever you can do to be very simple and very direct. And then third, be salt, be salt. Let your speech always be with grace or graciousness as though seasoned with salt. Now, in the ancient world, meat was very, very hard. It's not like we have today this meat that, you know, it's uh, so uh, tender you can cut it with a fork. It was very hard, so you'd beat it and beat it, but then you had to put a lot of salt on so you can eat it, right? It was seasoning. It was seasoning to, to the meat. Well, what he's saying is here, when you're witnessing, be gracious, Again, don't come back to this, I'm going to win the argument, my ego's now involved, uh, you're not going to uh, overpower me. Remember, when people are saved, most of the time it's not the argument that saved them. You said something they pick up on, Christ or sin, and you, you, you're shocked later what they picked up on. So it's not so much how brilliant you are, is getting that right word, that right seed, that right thought into that person's mind, and that's the Spirit does. But notice, uh, with grace... And season with salt. Uh, make it attractive. Peter says this, with gentleness and reverence. You cannot beat people into salvation. It's not going to happen. They'll, they'll, they'll just go the other way. But if you're gentle and you're gracious and you're kind, you become attractive. Remember, you're the package. The message, but you're the package. And the package needs to be gentle and kind and, and reverent. As Bob Smith, uh, and there's a lot of witnesses, 90% of witnessing is love. Just loving people, showing interest in people, kindness to them, reaching out to them. And that's why he really is against argumentativeness or any kind of obnoxious talk or acting proud or like you know it all, which you don't. Relax. God does the saving. You're just a mouthpiece. It's very famous evangelist in the West. I don't know if he came here. I know he went to Canada. Sam Dalton, the black evangelist. Really great evangelist. But he used to always carry a straw in his pocket. And he'd pull the straw out and say, I'm just a channel. I'm just a channel. I'm just a mouthpiece. It's the Lord that does the work. The Lord doesn't pick up on what I'm saying. I'm talking to uh, a dead person. So we're the channel. Uh, we're the mouthpiece. We're the packaging. And we carry this wonderful message. So Show love, show interest, ask questions, seek what the person believes, and then when that opportunity comes, you just slide in. You just slide in with the gospel. And I find the big thing to do is emphasize Christ. Emphasize Christ. People think he's a great man. That's good. But we say he's Lord. And once you come under his lordship, all these questions you have will fall right in line because he's Lord. Be bold. Be bold. Um, in that Ephesians passage, let me read it to you. Ephesians 6, 19 and 20, very similar to the Colossians passage. Pray on our, my behalf that utterance may be given to me in opening of my mouth. Now listen to this. This is the great apostle speaking. To make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador, unusual ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You know what I think our problem is? We're not bold enough. We're, we're too frightened that people are going to think we're in a cult. Uh, we're not intelligent. Uh, we believe in ghosts, uh, silly things. Believe in that old book, the Bible. You know what Paul says? I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
writing to Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel in cosmopolitan Rome where they think this is the most, re- uh, they think it's foolishness. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's foolishness. Who would ever believe this? A crucified Savior. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Do not be afraid of the gospel. It's a ser- oh, excuse me. He says to him, do not be ashamed to suffer with me for the gospel. It's a very serious matter to be ashamed of the gospel. Let's admit it. Many times we are. Many times we say, they're never going to believe this anyway. Uh, they, they'll think bad of me. Uh, they won't want to talk to me again. Well, I think we need to be a little bit more bold. I think this is why the charismatics see so many people saved. Uh, Despite some of their beliefs, which are very hard for us to swallow, uh, they're bold in the gospel. They they do a lot of witnessing. I've seen that in our own city. They're the ones out on the street corners. They're the ones out giving tracts. I think we've got a little too polite about this whole thing. Just need to be bolder. Not be afraid. Fourth, be prayerful. Be prayerful. Now, he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. You can lose heart in witnessing. See, so few saved. After a while, you just give up. You say, they're not going to be saved. But I've said that about certain people. In fact, I've said that specifically to people. They'll never get saved. I don't know why I was that dumb to say that. But I said it of two special people, and both of them got saved. So I'm not a prophet. It's very obvious I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet. So... This one man who's so arrogant and, and, and his wife got saved and uh, he destroyed his marriage and he was just so proud. He's a rich young kid. And uh, I said to my wife, that guy will never get saved. And uh, his wife got saved and my, that's how we got in contact with him. So anyway, the marriage blew up and his family blew up. But that brought him to, to the Lord. So one day he calls me and he calls me, he says, Alex, see ya. I said, what is it, John? He says, could I get saved? I'm going, oh, I don't believe this. I don't, this is like totally out of the blue. Can I be saved? Well, I said, there's the thief on the cross. And then another man who was, uh, uh, knew the gospel, uh, growing up with the gospel, who turned away from it, lived in a, a debauchery in life. And one day he calls me, because we, we had known each other since teenagers. He calls me and says, do you think I could be saved? I said the same thing. Well, thief on the cross, he got saved. As long as you believe and trust and accept the promises of God. He said, I don't even know how to do it. He said, well, just uh, trust and believe God. He said he'll save you. There's nothing, there's nothing more that I can say to you that he said if you will believe, you'll be saved. That's what he came. He came to seek and save which is lost. And you're pretty lost. So you'll be a good a victim of, of the Lord. So he got saved. So don't say the Lord's not going to save someone. Uh, you'll probably be called a false prophet. And at least I wasn't stoned for that. Uh, we should pray. Uh, prayer, uh, prayer and, uh, and witnessing go hand in glove because we acknowledge our dependence on the Lord for anyone to be saved and for us to say the right words, we, we need the Lord's help and guidance in all of this. So be prayerful. I prayed for my father for many, many years. At 85 years of age, uh, he became a born-again Christian. And by the way, he became a born-again Christian because a lady just point blank nailed him, and I should have nailed him harder, but sometimes the son is hard to do, and she just pointed him to Christ and challenged him about his eternal soul. And at 85, got saved and started going to church, a good evangelical church near where he lives, 
And so I know he was under the gospel every, every week. So be alert, be prepared, be salt, be bold, be prayerful. You know what? It's hard to pray for missionaries if you have no concern about the people around you. So you think about your own witness and your own boldness and your own uh, ability to speak forth the gospel. And uh, believe God for these things. He's told us to do it. Do it. So, in giving the Great Commission, we're to teach people uh, all that Christ taught and teach them to obey it, right? So this is something that we're taught to do. We are, Colossians chapter 4, so important, verses 5 and 6, 1 Peter 5, 15, we are to seek opportunities, we're to use our brains, look around, the opportunities are there, we're just walking past them, walk with wisdom towards the unsaved, seeking those opportunities, those right moments, they come up at any time, so you're, you're prepared, and then be gracious, be very kind, don't be a show-off, don't be proud, don't be a know-it-all, be humble, everything you know the Lord gave you anyway, and then season it with salt, be a pleasant person, not an unpleasant person, Show interest in the other person. Love, uh, as Bob Smith says, 90% is love. Just You love the people and people pick up on that. They really are concerned about my soul and about me. And be prayerful. Be prayerful about this. So as a local church, as individuals, evangelize or you will fossilize. That actually was a sermon. I did not make that up. Uh, by a, a man who wrote all those books uh, all the Bible says. Maybe you've seen those, a whole series of books. What the Bible says. Yes, I have his name here. No, I don't have his name here. But anyway, he gave a sermon, Evangelize or Fossilize. And I thought, what a great title. We either evangelize, or God has no grandchildren, by the way. Everyone has to get saved. Your children have to get saved. They're, they're not born saved. You give them the gospel, you till the soil, but they have to respond. You cannot respond for them. So... Be prayerful.